Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of your pastors. So glad that you're joining us, whether you're a returning listener or someone who catches up with us every week. Either way, I want to remind you, like I do every week, that you belong. We believe that you belong to God, so you belong to us. And the best way for you to get plugged into this community so that you're not just someone who attends, but someone who participates in the life of our church is to fill out a connect card. Fill out your name, questions you might have, areas of the church you might be interested in. We would love to reach out after you fill that out and get you plugged in. Also, I want to remind you that this is a great opportunity to support what God is doing at our church. And you can do that lots of ways, but one of the ways is through your generosity by financially supporting the mission of God at this church. So head on over to the Church Center app or the Life Canton website to do either of those things, to fill out a connect card or to uh, give to the church. So we are in week three today of our dual citizen series. This week you'll hear a message from Pastor John about being a kingdom steward. So give that a listen and I'll catch up with you in just one minute. Amen, amen. Can we give it up for God and for our worship team for leading us? Such a a beautiful, sweet presence of God in this place. So thank you for showing up with your true selves and and being willing to open your hearts and worship. It's such a joy to be with you in worship. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to continue in our series called Dual Citizen. One of the things we're doing with this series is unpacking Jesus' parables. Did you know that Jesus always spoke with parables everywhere he went all the time? I mean, scripture is that explicit about how often he spoke in parables. This was his favorite way to preach. These are stories of the kingdom of God. Why did he love speaking in parables? Because they taught us, they explained the kingdom of God to those who were born and raised in the empire, like you and me, like the people of his day who didn't really know about the kingdom of God. We have this icon in this series of this crown. Half of it is this crown of royalty, this crown of kings, and the other half is this crown of thorns. See, this, this crown of royalty shows us the way of kings. It's all about money, power, fame, success, empire. Building this empire for my glory, for my fame, for me, myself, and I. Versus the way of the cross, crown of thorns. A way of sacrifice, of service, of empowering others, of laying down your life for the sake of others. This is the crown that Jesus wore. And this is the battle we find ourselves in. Can you tell how divergent these two paths are? They couldn't be more different from each other. And that's not just an an icon on a screen. That's a reality in our hearts. We have these divergent paths right inside of us. Where part of us is tempted by this path of royalty, of money, power, and fame. To be successful, to, to get rich, to provide for our families to live an extravagant life. And the other part of us wants to serve and sacrifice, to empower others, to live beyond ourselves, to be influential, to make a mark on the world. This is a picture of our dueling identities, this war within us. And it's why we call this series Dual Citizen. Because we're not only dueling with things in our lives out here, we're dueling inside of our hearts. How do we live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the empire. 
Jared said that in the first week, and I love that because it's such a picture of this tension that we live in. Our primary citizenship is in heaven as believers, as followers of Jesus, but we are called to live in this earth, in the places where God has put us, in our workplace, in our culture, in our families, to be engaged in the world around us. We can't, as the saying goes, be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that before? It's super cheesy, but it's very true. Like we can't be so out of touch with the world that we're so focused on heaven and not able to engage where God has planted us. And that is the question of the series. How do we live as a citizen of heaven while we are living as citizens on earth? We're wrestling through that by looking at the parables of Jesus as he teaches us about the kingdom of God. And I want to define the kingdom of God and the empire to be clear, because these are words that we're using a lot in this series. And I want to make sure we know what we're talking about. The kingdom of God is any space where God's love and justice rule and all creation can flourish. God gave humans a responsibility to care for, to steward all creation. And he wants it to flourish. He wants us to lead to the flourishing of everything around us through justice and love. This is the kingdom of God. But the empire is powers of this world that promise the common good, but control through fear, violence, manipulation, and false hope. Let me read that again. The empire is powers of this world that promise the common good, but control through fear, violence, manipulation, and false hope. Again, do you see how different these two kingdoms are from each other? And we find ourselves having to live in both. Today, we're going to look at a parable that will challenge us to think about how to live as a dual citizen when it comes to managing our money. Does anyone want to leave the room right now? As we, do we like when churches talk about money? Absolutely, we do not. And some of you, I heard someone say, every time I visit a church, they talk about money. What's up with that? So if that's you, I'm sorry that this is the first time you're here, but I want you to hear the heart behind this, the joy behind this, the opportunity, the freedom that's behind God's heart towards money. Because there's so much here that is so much more than a dollar bill than a 50, than a 20, however much you have in your pocket. It's about so much more than money. Please don't check out. This is a heavy topic. I feel it. I'm up here trying to teach this to us, and I'm one of you. I am in this journey of learning how to manage money God's way, and it is a heavy topic, but it is so important. It is so important. I have a question for you. Why do we get so worked up? When the church talks about money, when the empire talks about money every single day and we gladly give it to them. Let that sit a little bit. Last week, one week ago, we just watched companies spend millions and millions of dollars on Super Bowl commercials. What are they trying to get you to do? Spend your money on the empire, on the products of this world, on all the things that promise to give you a better life. And we don't even think about it. We're just like, yeah, I want that. Here's my money. We don't even think about how much the empire is asking for our money. And it turns out money is a really important subject. Did you know that the Bible talks about money over 2,000 times? 
Did you know that 42% of Jesus' parables are about money? 40, almost half of the parables are about money. Why? Because Jesus knew how much influence money had on our identity. He knew that the empire was hijacking our identities through the way that we spend money. How does that happen? How, how, does, how could the empire actually hijack our identity? Let me show you. With advertisements, they promise if you buy this product, you'll be accepted by everyone. Whatever flaws you have, whatever thing that you're trying to get, whatever insecurity you're trying to overcome, if you buy this product, it will help you overcome your insecurity and you will be loved. Right? I mean, if you really think about it, that's what they're trying to get us to believe. How about this one? This isn't even subliminal. This is right there, right in our face. This showed up three times during the Super Bowl, the same ad, okay? Listen to this. Feels like a dream, feels like magic. Now I believe I can have it. Ooh, ooh, Timu. Ooh, ooh, Timu. My wife said, are you going to sing that? I'm like, no. She's like, thank God, right? All of, <laughs> all of my wishes came true. Shop like a billionaire. Shop like a billionaire. Ooh, ooh, Temu. See, that's what I thought too. I thought it was said Timu, but if you listen to the commercial, it's Temu. That's one of the things I learned. Was apparently, that's how you say it. It's not Timu. But we don't care because guess what? This is trying to teach us something about our identity. If you shop on Temu, your wishes and dreams will come true. You will feel successful like a billionaire. I mean, it's not even subliminal. It's just obvious. That's exactly what they're saying, right? And we can fall for this. We fall for this even though it's right in front of us. Do you see why almost half of Jesus' parables were about money? He had to correct the false messages that the empire was sending us about money. He had to show us how to disconnect how we spend money from our identity in terms of this world and begin to see it through the kingdom of God. Let's discover in the parable of the talents how to spend money God's way. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. We're going to read through the whole parable, and then we're going to go back and unpack some of it together and see what we learn. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, 
Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, now listen to this. It's almost the exact same language, okay? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Welcome to Light and Fluffy Church. This is hard, right? This is difficult. What is Jesus teaching us here? Let's start with the value of a talent because this, is, this, this matters. This is really important to the parable. That language that this uses is bags of silver, but another uh, word for it in other translations is a talent. Okay, this is not talking about do you have an ability to play sports or whatever. It's about a unit of measurement for money. And a talent was not a small amount of money. In fact, if you did the modern equivalence to how much that is worth today, took the average amount an American makes in American dollars and combined that to how much it's worth, one talent is equal to 20 years of wages. That equals $1.2 million. Okay, this was not a $20 bill that he gave them. This was a large sum of money. And that's the least amount. The other talent, the other one got two talents, which is 2.4 million. And then the five talents are $6 million. Tells you something about the master. He gave them a lot of money to manage. He gave them a lot of responsibility, as this text says, and says, you need to steward this well until I come back. They each have more than enough. 1.2 million is more than enough, right? How many of you would love 1.2 million right now, okay? That's more than enough. Like these guys have something to work with. Now, who do these characters represent in the story? Because in verse 14, Jesus said, this is like the kingdom of heaven, okay? So he's trying to teach us what this means for us. The master in the story represents Jesus. He left in the ascension after he died and rose again from the dead and went up to heaven He went on a trip to heaven, just like the master in the story. And now he was waiting till his second coming where he will return from his trip and judge the world and rescue his followers. Okay, so the master represents Jesus. Who do the servants represent? You and me as disciples of Jesus. How are we managing this money that the master has given us while he is away? That is the question of this parable. So the whole point of this is about kingdom stewardship. Kingdom stewardship. How are we stewarding the money that God has given us? And this is how we'll we'll define it. 
is managing money responsibly, managing God's money responsibly. That is what kingdom stewardship is. How do we as followers of Jesus live in between the ascension and the second coming? How do we stay faithful in this time in between? How do we take financial responsibility for what God cares about? Primarily, these are justice and love, orphans and widows supporting his church. These are the priorities of the kingdom of God. This requires wisdom, self-control, commitment, and faithfulness to God's purposes. It requires us getting disentangled from the priorities of the empire because they're a lot different than the priorities of the kingdom, aren't they? We have to begin to see things the way that God sees them. So in this parable, I see three elements of kingdom stewardship, and I want to unpack them together and see what we can learn from Jesus. Number one is ownership. Number two is mindset. And number three is management. These are the ways that kingdom stewardship teaches us how to live in the kingdom with our money. So the first is ownership. Who owns money? How should we manage the ownership of our money? Now, Matthew 25, 14 gives us the answer. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted whose money? His money to them while he was gone. Who does the money belong to? The master. Who's the master? Jesus. The money belongs to the master. All of the money that we have been entrusted with belongs to God. Now you might say, I worked hard for that money. I earned the paycheck. How can God say that that's his money? Who did you pray to to get that job? Who do you pray to to provide for your family when you can't? In fact, Psalm 24.1 says, everything in the world belongs to God. That includes money. Everything belongs to him. See, this matters because there's a huge difference between seeing money as, as God's money or my money. And I want to give you a mini parable to illustrate this. If I gave my son Noah, who's 12 years old, the $20 bill, and I said, Noah, this is my money. I'm going to give it to you, and you can go to the store and, and get some candy and hang out with your friends. I don't want you to spend all of it. I want you to spend a little bit of it for the candy and then bring the rest back. Now he goes and he's having fun with his friends and he sees all the good stuff on the shelves and he's distracted and he ends up spending all 20 bucks on candy and he comes back and on his way back, he realizes, oh shoot, I forgot that my dad told me not to spend it all. And he comes and says, dad, I'm really sorry. I spent all the money. I forgot. And I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm upset that he didn't listen to what I told him to do. But more than anything, my father's heart is sad because he missed the opportunity to manage this money well. You see, right now, Noah is on a winter retreat with life students. And we told him that he had to pay for half of his retreat so that he could take ownership and invest in that himself. He could have used part of that 20 bucks to invest into the winter retreat, to grow in his relationship with God. And then we wanted him to take two of those dollars from the 20 to invest back into the church, to give a tithe, to support the mission that God has given us as a body of Christ. But because he spent it all on candy, he doesn't have anything left for the other priorities. And now he's got to work harder to make up that money. 
See where I'm going with this? You see what happens when we think money is ours and it's not God's? We decide what we can do with it according to our terms. And whenever that happens, we inevitably fall into some kind of money pit, some kind of trouble, some kind of situation with money where we feel like we're in over our head. I want to give you a couple examples. Number one is impulsive spending. Advertisements are calling at our attention all the time. We spend money on mobile apps and games. They ask for your money. It's only a dollar here or a dollar there, but you're paying for something that's digital. It's not even real. And it sucks in our money. How about sports betting? You could do it right on your phone now. You don't even have to go to the casino. You could bet on a game that you're watching. Or how about this one? The Target dollar aisle. How many of you struggle with this one? Uh, I, you got to see what's in there. I mean, it's a good deal. It's, you, you can't just walk by it. Like, what if there's something in there for you? Or what about just sales? Sales in general. We feel like we have to get it before it's gone. This might be the last one in the entire world, right? I got to get it before somebody else does. I've struggled with this one. And you know where this comes from? My dinner table growing up. I have five sisters. I'm one of six kids. So when my parents put the food on the table, it's like we're ravenous wolves. Like everybody get your portion before it's gone. You know, like if you don't get your portion, you might go to bed hungry. Now my parents provided for us well, but it's just this mindset that can be created. Like I got to get it before it's gone. And that can easily translate into how we manage our money, how we spend our money. The second money pit is credit cards. It's free money. I'll just pay it back next week when I get my paycheck. The problem is next week never comes. And then the interest starts building and you feel like you're buried under this mountain of debt and interest. In fact, scripture says in Proverbs 22, 7, that the borrower is slave to the lender. And before we realize it, we are enslaved to the credit card companies. I have been there. You feel like you can't get out from under the weight of this debt. You feel literally like a slave to the credit card companies. This is the number one money pit, I think, in my opinion. Eating out, isn't it? We're busy. We don't have time to cook. It's quick and convenient. We could just go through fast food. Problem is with inflation, even fast food is expensive now. And we find ourselves spending all kinds of money. In fact, I dare you to go and look at last month's how, where you spent your money and see how much you spent on eating out makes you want to throw up. It just adds up before we even realize it. Eating out can be a huge money pit. To practice kingdom stewardship, we have to change the way we think about money. We have to disentangle from the empire so we don't fall in these money pits. And that brings us to our second element of kingdom stewardship, our mindset. How do we think about our money? How do we think about how we manage it, how we spend it? what priorities are when it comes to money. Let's investigate the third servant's mindset. This is part of the parable where the servants come back and report to their master how they spent his money when they come back. Let's read verses 24 and 25. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Let's pause there. I made you go back and forth last time. So we'll pause here. Harsh man. 
How does the servant feel about the master? Does he trust him? Is he actually blaming him? He is. He's, he's like, because you're harsh, I couldn't trust you with your money. With my, I couldn't trust myself with your money because I couldn't trust you. And so he makes a judgment on his master that he's a harsh man. There's distrust here. Now let's go to verse 25. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. I was afraid. How often do we have fear and anxiety when it comes to managing money? When it feels like we can't make ends meet, when it feels like we're getting behind on our bills or that mountain of debt is piling up and we just feel like we're crippled with fear. How are we going to do this? This is how the servant felt. I was afraid. This is the kind of thinking that is influenced by the empire. It depends on the empire to provide. And when the empire doesn't, we feel afraid and we blame others, don't we? This is empire scarcity. What do I mean by that? Empire scarcity is I never have enough money. I never have enough money. You'll see that on the screen. This empire scarcity. And just like the third servant, this mindset is driven by fear, distrust, and blame. How many times have we been in a tough spot and blamed God for it? Well, God, if you would just give me more money, then I'd be okay. If you would have given me that job that I applied for, then we wouldn't be in this situation. These are hard things to work through. But instead of wrestling through them with God, we just blame him and we stop trusting him. We check out. And then there's the fear, right? Afraid of losing money. Afraid of getting behind, of not being able to make ends meet. See, we can feel enmeshed in the empire in these situations, thinking and living out of scarcity. Because if there's not enough for me, then how could I even meet the needs of others? How could I share with other people? It makes it feel like people who have a lot of needs, like orphans, widows, homeless people, senior citizens, they're the real money pits. They got themselves in that situation. They should get themselves out. I have literally heard people say that. How heartless, how broken. But it comes from this perspective where it's all about me, myself, and I, and taking care of my needs and being blind to everyone else's. This is what the empire does. If you have empire scarcity, you will never have enough money. And let's remember, this servant had $1.2 million. How many of you would like $1.2 million right now? We could do a lot of good stuff with that money. He had more than enough, but he felt like he didn't in his mindset. I was talking with Franz about this and he's like, yeah, God, I'll just take a million. I don't even need 1.2. I'll just take one and that'll be good enough. But we laughed about it, but really it's not the point. It doesn't matter if you have $1, $10, $100, or $100 million. It's about how you manage it. That's the parable. No matter how much or how little you have, are you managing it well? Are you using the priorities of the kingdom of God to determine how you are spending it? This is the mindset of kingdom abundance. And it is the complete opposite of empire scarcity. Kingdom abundance says, I have more than enough money. I have more than enough. See, the first two servants worked with what they were given. They had, they started with abundance and said, 
I have enough, so I'm going to use it to steward well. I'm going to use it to actually make more money, to be productive, to get to work and use this that I've been given to be responsible. And the first one grew his money from six million to 12 million. Sorry, that was the second servant. The first servant grew it from 2.4 to 4.8 million. When we truly believe we have more than enough, we can live within our means so that we have room to help others. Kingdom abundance makes room to care for orphans and widows, to care for the church, to care for the priorities of the kingdom of God. See, these two mindsets, whether you have scarcity or abundance, they matter because they affect the way that we manage money. They will shape the way that you spend the money that you get. That's why they're so important. And that brings us to the third element of kingdom stewardship, management. How do we manage the money that we're given in a week? What do we do when we get our paychecks? I want to give you an illustration to show what this looks like as we play it out in our daily lives. The most uh, expensive thing that we have to pay for is our home and our car. Paying for our mortgage, paying for our gas, even maintenance. A lot of times, you know, car fixes or home fixes come out of nowhere and they're expensive. So we have to pay for our home and our car. The second biggest category is food. Groceries, restaurants, fast food, dinners with friends. We have to feed ourselves. This is a major need that we care for. Speaking of needs, there's other ones like clothing and toiletries, childcare, insurance, healthcare, and retirement meeting the needs of us and our families. Now, the next couple we don't like as much, but they're real they're necessity, our bills, our utilities, recurring monthly payments that we have to pay for. And then we have debt, credit cards and school loans. We talked about how a credit card is a money pit. And oftentimes that becomes a big source of having to provide our income for that area. If we have some extra, we can start to save for vacation. Time, oops, time off of work, time spent creating memories with our family, with our friends. And then media. We, we all love a good movie. We all love video games. We love apps. We love Netflix, YouTube, Disney Plus, whatever it is. We love to be entertained by media. And the last one is fun. We all got to have some fun money from time to time to go out with friends, to hang out, to have you know, a date night to enjoy some time having fun. These are the ways that we use our money. And these are just eight examples. We could put more up here. Someone said, what about taxes? Yeah, that's a big one too. There's a lot of different ways that we need to spend our money. And this is managing money according to the empire. This is what the empire says is the priority. This isn't all bad. Some of these things are important. We have to care for our needs. We have to care for these things that allow us to operate every day. And what about emergencies when they come up? They just like a grenade that blows up this whole thing, right? And you're like, I thought I had a good plan, but then this emergency came. Or what about the struggles that you have with money, the brokenness about it? What did your parents teach you or not teach you about money that you have to kind of heal from? How did you watch your parents spend money in a toxic way? And you want to learn how to do it better. Or what about spiritual warfare? The enemy loves to distract us, discourage us when it comes to money. And that's just working behind the scenes on our hearts, on our identity to try to throw us off. So all of these things challenge the way that we handle our money. In fact, a couple months ago, we sent out an anonymous financial survey 
where we asked our church, how do you feel? How do you respond when it comes to money? And these are three of the things that, that you said. 38% of us feel anxious about money. Just like the third servant, we feel that fear, that anxiety when it comes to managing money. 38% of us. 22% of us do not have a budget. We do not tell our money where to go. We just see it come in and go out and it kind of have a life of its own. It might feel like it's out of control because we're not caring for our money with a budget. 17% of us have trouble paying bills. This is heavy. This is real. This can be a very real struggle on a day-to-day basis. This is from our church. This is where we are struggling when it comes to managing our money. And this is very real. But here's the truth. If we don't manage our money well, then the empire will tell us how to manage it. The empire will take our money from us and prioritize it for us. Now, is this a complete picture of money management? I mean, if I could stick my hand through the illustration, something ain't right, okay? We're missing something here. What are we missing? Someone said a tithe. Investing into the kingdom of God. What else are we missing? Savings, right? According to kingdom stewardship, these are the two most important foundational blocks of our budget. Giving and and saving. In fact, the percentages are helpful. So this represents 80% of how we spend our money. Again, you could insert other things in for these blocks, but these are eight blocks to represent how we spend our money. 80%, 10% tithing, 10% saving. That's the instruction of scripture. To give to the church, to give to the kingdom of God, to support the needs of orphans and widows, to meet the needs of the community for, for outreach, to support the church. This is what scripture calls us to. Tithing is investing 10% of anything we receive into the kingdom of God. This includes the church, ministries, and orphans and widows, like I mentioned. Now, students, you might say, well, I don't have a job. I don't have a lot of money coming in. Maybe those of you who are in between jobs are really struggling right now. 10% of everything we receive. So when I gave Noah that 20 bucks, I'm, I'm expecting him to invest $2 into tithing. That's an expectation as a father, as someone who is teaching my son how to manage his money God's way. I'm expecting him to give right off the top 2% back to the, sorry, 10%, $2 back to the church. See, we could do this with any small amount of money. It doesn't have to be a big sum. It's the principle that matters. The tithe supports the life of the church. I think this is really important because people don't really understand what this does. When we tithe, when we invest in the mission of the church, we're paying to keep the lights on. We're, we're paying the salary of our staff to be able to care for their families. We're paying for outreach that the church does, for opportunities. In fact, I've had at least two people recently tell me, do I have to pay for our Life Journey Discipleship courses? Like I expect that I would need to pay for that. And my answer is absolutely not. We don't want you to have to pay to grow in your walk with God. But if you tithe, then you can invest into the life and mission of the church. And that tithing money is what allows us to provide the life journey and all the things that we are able to do together as a church. Okay, so 100% of the money that we give runs this church. 
We don't have outside income from the denomination. In fact, we have to pay the denomination to be a part of them to receive what that denomination does to support us. So it's important that we know that. We together are committing to own the mission and the vision of our church and to support it financially. In fact, we wrote a position paper on this called Radical Generosity. This is the heart of our giving, that we would be radically generous. And you can go check out that position paper at this link. I want to read a a quote from it because I think this really captures the heart of what we mean by radical generosity. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a radical concept in our culture. But because of Jesus, we can't help but follow the model of radical generosity. Giving is no longer simply an act of duty. It's joyful obedience and worship flowing from our identity in Jesus. While this may seem radical to our culture, it is core to who we are, radically generous. This is one of the effects of being discipled by Jesus. He was radically generous. By the way, Jesus gave up so much that he hung on a cross and died for you and me. He literally gave up his body for us. There is nothing that he resisted from sacrificing. Are we willing to sacrifice like Jesus? Thankfully, we don't have to climb on a cross because he already did that. But are we willing to do what he asks us to do? Because the truth is, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does that mean? That means where you spend your money is where the desires of your heart are. What you give your money to is what is discipling you. Okay? Jesus isn't the only one who disciples us. The empire wants to disciple us according to the empire's priorities of me, myself, and I, money, power, and fame. Are we going to let the empire disciple us or are we going to let Jesus disciple us? That includes our money. That includes how we manage what God has given us because it's truly his money. What happens when we fail to tithe? What happens when we fail to, to do this first brick here? We aren't just failing to provide for the church. We are actually cheating God. Remember, all of this is God's money. He gives it to us and says, I only want 10% back. You get to do whatever you want with the other 90%. I'm just asking you for 10 back. And when we don't do that, he feels cheated. Don't take my words for this. Let's look at scripture. Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 10. This is God speaking through the prophet Malachi. And this is a direct quote from God, okay? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. You see, I want you to focus on this. I will pour out a blessing. That is the heart of God. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us financial freedom. He wants to work with us to partner in kingdom priorities, to do incredible good in the world and help repair and restore and heal people. He wants to bless us. 
but he chooses to do that through the tithe. He chooses to do that through partnering with his church, with the kingdom of God. And if we don't do that, then he feels cheated. Now, in the context of the scripture, because this is the Old Testament, what happened was they would give 10% of everything they earned or produced with their livestock and their agriculture, and they would give it to the temple. And that supported the Levites, whose job was to care for the temple. This group of people, this tribe of people, that was their goal. Now, today that translates to 10% given to the church, to the ministries of God, so that they can care for God's priorities, so that they can fund the, the staff and the ministries of the church to be able to operate successfully. That is the intention with God's way of tithing. See, we have to take responsibility as well as a church, which is why over the last two years, we've had to cut staff. We've cut ministry expenses as much as we possibly can to be sustainable so that we can be responsible with what God has given us. You see, this savings account is important as well because we use that for emergencies. We use that for necessities that are unexpected. We can use that to get ahead, to provide in times of job transition or other things. But there can come a time, and this is why it's so important that tithing is the first brick, where a savings account can be just like burying your talent in the dirt. If I am so comfortable with my savings that the church is struggling, is that good kingdom stewardship? If I have a really padded savings account, but the church is $20,000 under budget, are we taking care of God's house? This is not a hypothetical situation. This is reality. We are $20,000 under our budget. What we said we would do to support the church and the mission that God has given us this year. How can we partner together to make up that deficit? How can we be good stewards to make sure we put this first, even before our savings account? You see, as I told you earlier, I am not up here preaching down to you as someone who has this figured out. This has been one of the greatest struggles of my life and my marriage. And it comes from the dinner table. You know what else happened at the dinner table? My parents would argue about money whenever it got tight. And sometimes those arguments would get very heated. And I would feel crushed. I would feel fear. I would be worried that we don't have enough money. My parents are fighting about it. What is happening? And what that did was created this fear and anxiety within me whenever it came to talking about money because I was expecting an argument to come. That was my normal. That was my reality. And so how do you think that translated into my marriage? Not very well. My wife is the one who primarily manages our money. So whenever we would talk about it, I would feel anxious. I'd stir in my seat. In fact, I would start to get up and walk out of the room. And she'd be frustrated. be like, why are you leaving me alone with the money? Why won't you engage and help me? And we talked through it and realized that it, it comes all the way back down to how I was raised and how I was taught to view money, my mindset towards money. It got to the point where 10, about 10 years ago, we were struggling financially and my wife decided to stop tithing. And I was working at that church on staff. And so one day my pastor called me in and said, is everything okay at home? I'm like, yeah, we're fine. What, what's the matter? And he's like, well, I'm just, I'm genuinely concerned because you haven't been tithing. And I, my eyes went like this and I was like, what? We haven't been tithing? I didn't know that. And at that moment, I realized before I could blame my bride for not handling the finances, for not tithing, I had to look at myself for not taking responsibility. 
for leaving her alone with our finances. Friends, are we willing to leave the bride of Christ alone with the finances? Are we willing to let the church carry the weight of this deficit? Or are we willing to take responsibility and say, I want to help bridge this gap. I want to take responsibility, get involved and partner so that we can support the mission that God has given us as a family, as a body of Christ and support that together. Do not leave the bride of Christ alone like I left my bride alone. Let's partner together. Amen. This is real. This is hard. This is difficult, but it is worth the struggle. How we manage God's money will determine whether we are judged or rewarded when it comes to our finances. As I said, we are living in between Jesus' ascension and his second coming, and he is watching how we are stewarding our money. He is ready to either judge us or reward us depending on how we manage it. That is not a threat. That is just reality. That is in the word of God. And let's read it right now. This was the master's response to the third servant who did not manage the master's money well. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. There's, there's the blessing. There's the opportunity to be rewarded. But those, uh, sorry, they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And here's the judgment. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why is Jesus so harsh with this language? Because he's trying to wake us up from the empire. He's trying to say, this is not the way that I've called you to manage money. There's a kingdom way to do it. And I'm teaching you how to live that way. Will you live that way? As one biblical scholar says it, a master rewards or punishes his servants for their productivity during his absence. So Jesus will hold his followers accountable to their productivity in the kingdom during his absence. Will We will be held accountable for how we manage God's money. I don't want you to receive that as a threat. I want you to receive that as an invitation to partner with God. See, on the other hand, if we practice kingdom stewardship, like the first two servants, then we are rewarded by God. Here's what the master said to these two servants when they reported to him. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You see this? Well done, celebration. This is what God wants to do with us. He says the same thing to both servants, which is really important because it's not about the amount you have. It's about what you do with it. He said the same thing to those with more, to those with less, because they both managed the money well. And that's God's heart. He wants to celebrate. He wants to give us financial freedom. He wants to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Will we partner with him to make that happen? Because here's the amazing thing, friends. We've talked about kingdom stewardship, how this is a picture of budgeting in the kingdom. And when we do that, we don't just talk about stewardship. We actually become a kingdom steward. It becomes a part of our identity. I want to represent the kingdom of God. I want to invest in what God cares about. 
I want to be about the purposes of God. And when I embody that in my identity, I get to be a kingdom steward. I get to be entrusted with God's heart for his church and support it financially in so many other ways as a kingdom steward. How do we live this way as a kingdom steward? Number one, we have to create a budget. If 22% of us don't have a budget, we've got some work to do here. And this is a great picture of what a budget looks like. 10% tithing, 10% saving, 80% spending. Putting first things first and prioritizing what God says matters for the kingdom of God. There are many different tools you can use for budgeting. Just Google it. If you need some help with finding the right tool for you, because that's the key, find what works for you. Uh, Jared and I would love to talk with you and give you some ideas. In fact, in April, we're going to have on Sunday nights a financial stewardship class that we invite you to come to that's free. Uh, that is, we'll have dinner with it and it's a community night, community outreach. And we'd love to help you with that during the month of April. The second thing is to enjoy financial freedom. See what this does when we budget and we have kingdom stewardship, it gives us freedom. When we know that we're putting first things first, we can have fun with what we do with the rest. We can support others. We can uh, meet needs. We can enjoy a night out and not feel guilty about it because we know we've put first things first. And God wants to join us in that celebration, just as you heard in the parable. This, the last thing is practice radical generosity. Now, some of you may be giving 2%, 1%. You may not be giving at all, and that's okay. You can start right where you are and build into the tithe and beyond. Radical generosity is giving wherever God calls us to give to support the kingdom. We have to provide for our families, but we also get the opportunity to support God's kingdom and put that first. We get to be radically generous as kingdom stewards with whatever he has given us. Can I pray for you? God, we submit this to you. This can feel heavy. This can feel challenging, but we accept the challenge. We want to be discipled by you, not by the world, not by the empire. We want to be discipled by the kingdom of God. Would you teach us how to manage money well? The goal is that you want to pour out blessing on us, Lord. And the way you've said to do that is to provide for the kingdom of God and to put that first, to manage our money well, to honor you, to let you lead us in showing us how to spend your money. Lord, may we wrestle with the truths we heard today and not reject them, but wrestle through them in prayer with you, wrestle through them with how we budget, to know that our security comes from you, not from money not from the empire. It comes from you. And Lord, we trust you. We choose to trust you with our finances. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Welcome back. I hope you found that message encouraging, uh, challenging, um, maybe even had you thinking about your finances and the kingdom of God and the role your finances play in it in a new way. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, anything that moved you during your message, we want to support you, uh, encourage you in whatever way we can. So be sure to indicate that on your support card. If you just need a little extra support this week, we would love to be able to do that for you. But I hope you have a blessed, fantastic week, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Bye.